across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pints. My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to Flavour with an hour of Cambridge food and drink. I'm Matt Bentman. And I'm Alan Alder. And this week I've been finding out about the changes at Finn Boys in Mill Road and also about how restaurants choose their new staff. I also spoke to the Cambridge chef who has reached the final of the very highly prestigious International San Pellegrino Young Chef Award, having won through as the UK entrant. Sue's paid a visit to Kibu, the Japanese restaurant and bar in Cambridge's Jesus Lane, which opened on Monday. And I went to the new Your Dumplings in King Street. And I also had a chat with Hal Wilson of Cambridge Wine Merchants about the new duty arrangements on alcohol and what it will mean for drinkers. And all these stories feature on the programme today. Also on today, we've got local food and drink news, ideas for simple fish dishes, our job section at the end of the programme, and we'll be keeping an eye on social media updates too. Yeah, not forgetting an update on where you can get free or greatly reduced food from. So, let's begin. And let's begin with Kibu, the new Japanese kitchen and bar. It arrived in Cambridge this week. Sue went along to the opening, so take it away, Sue. I'm talking to Ellie Banfield, who is the GM of Kibu in Jesus Lane, which is a very new opening but you opened on monday is that right we did we opened grand opening on the 7th we had uh, lots of people pre-booking ready for you know all the authentic japanese food we had lots of sake flights amazing cocktails going out so yeah monday night was was an amazing night first opening night and you're in what used to be pizza express so cambridge people will certainly know that wow it's transformed hasn't it yeah absolutely so the, the exterior of the building is beautiful as as it is it's uh, people know the building already it's beautiful from the outside but as you step into our building it's uh, not what what you quite expect it's lots of color big color boom absolutely fantastic interior the guys have done an amazing job yeah and i gather all this happened in nine weeks i can hardly believe that i know yeah we we, we weren't expecting to open on time but uh, everyone involved put in the hard work and we were ready to go on time and we're really really happy with the outcome can you just sort of describe the interior and then a brief description of the menu and the special dishes sure so the interior we you know we're not we're not authentic japanese in terms of minimalism or anything like that we're we're quite bold we're quite we're quite colorful we're we're here to you know want people to take photos and want people to really experience the evening and and be quite wowed with with what we what, what we've done the menu is a very large menu we have a big a hot food selection so we have ramens teriyaki we have donburi lots of main dishes there um, some sharers the classic uh, takoyaki we have the pokiosas and then we also have a wide range of sushi sashimi lots of fresh fish we order our fish in daily and 
yeah, the food is absolutely fantastic. It looks lovely and also there's sort of two different rooms, a sort of dark red room and then there's a beautiful white room and with amazing lighting. And the, just the style is something else. It's really gorgeous. How do you feel it's gone tonight? Yeah, we're really happy with tonight and some amazing people from Cambridge. We want to obviously showcase what we have to offer. We think we've got some, some amazing people who can spread the word for us. We're really happy with, with the outcome and lots of free-flowing food and drinks and hopefully everyone's having a great evening. And the nice thing is you're not based in London so it's not really a chain as such so you know the, the fact that you've the owner has decided to open in Cambridge why Cambridge do you think yeah I think it's we're obviously still very independently owned we are the fifth site to open up we don't want to class ourselves as a chain we are still very family orientated the team that we've chosen we've chosen to be able to, to create that family feel and create that fun environment so Cambridge I think I think it's missing this kind of fun vibrant bright uh, Japanese offering. I think we're a small gap in the market and I think we'll, we'll slot right in. Yeah, I think so too. All the best for the future. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was Sue at Kibu in Jesus Lane. Now, sadly, Sue can't be with us today, but uh, obviously she did provide us with that piece in the really early hours of the morning. Yes, good for Sue. I think that's fantastic. Good stuff. And now details of free food available in and around Cambridge. And this information comes from the Olio app. It tells you what food is available for nothing and where to get it from. And it exists so that people's or businesses' surplus food doesn't go to waste. Yeah, that's right. And today's look at Olio for Cambridge shows us that Will Run in Coleridge Road. Now, he's an name I'm getting to see quite frequently on Olio. He's got a Warburton bloomer, bags of carrots and a punnet of strawberries to give away. Meanwhile, Antonia on Cherry Hinton Road is offering an extra thick sliced loaf of bread and Sean near Jesus Green has half a dozen chilli sauces available. Now, that is actually everything at the moment and, and it's because everything else has been claimed. There was a really long list of stuff available today including salads, bananas, beef burgers, apples, plenty of rolls, baguettes and sandwiches, all of those things collected from various shops for distribution via the app. But they've all gone. They've all gone. Yeah. Well, if you've missed out, don't forget the other free app, which is called Too Good To Go. And that has unsold food from restaurants and shops, often at less than half price. So it's not free, but it's less than half price. And rather than specifying what each leftover item is, the surplus food is simply repackaged as a magic bag, ready for you to take home instead of being binned at the end of the day's trading. So, great innovation. Now, we've all heard about the difficulties of recruiting chefs. It is really difficult at the moment. But assuming you do get applicants for a position, how do you go about choosing which one you want to appoint? I asked Richard Stokes and Jay Scrimshaw of Finboys, that they've both had a lot of experience at different restaurants over the years, how they go about it. No, um, never really done that. It's usually you just you get a feel of what they're like, you know, what sort of they're, you're not you're not looking for what they can cook. You're looking that with the character fit in to the the team that you've got. That's basically what you're looking for. Everything else you can teach. So what do you talk to them about to us to find out about their say their about knowledge, their life, knowledge of food, what sort of food they like to eat. You know, uh, you know someone who you know doesn't like fish, I mean, it's not really going to work, uh, or someone who doesn't like meat and they're a vegetarian and they're working in a meat orientated, you know, it's just just general, general conversation, Yeah, really. Right. And, and presumably 
Richard asks you this, presumably where they're currently working is is relevant as well. Yes, of course, yeah, yeah. So uh, if they're working at the Wimpy, you know, they might not get a look in. No, I've, I've taken people from fast food restaurants before at the Three Horseshoes. Um, it's just what spark they've got, really. If they've got a little bit of humph in them, and you know, you can just tell that by talking to them if, if they want to learn and um, get on. We had one, one guy who lived in Godmanchester, and after a week working with us, his, his um, motorbike broke down, so he caught the bus every day to Bar Hill and walked. So you, you just tell he's the right sort of person you wanted to, to, to work for you. Yeah, and the same with Jay. Never really asked anyone to cook anything for us. You ask them obviously their favourite foods and where they obviously you see when they worked before and where they'd like to go if, 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 if they would go into a restaurant the next day where they'd like to eat. And you just try and teach them your philosophy on food, really. And, and, and you can just tell if they're going to be a sponge and, and as Jay said, fit in with the team you already have or, or not. Do ever, any of them sort of prepare by coming to your restaurants and having a meal? Has, has that happened? Some have, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, three Horseshoes. It happened quite a number of times. Um, and since Finboys, we've had three or four people actually have eaten here first and then wanted to do stage, uh, stage here. Uh, I've had at least three people ask that. Um, but it's too tiny to get extra people in some days, you know, when, when, when they're free. Yeah, no, it, it happens, definitely. So the big issue is how the new recruit would fit in with the team. As Jay says, skills can be taught. And down the road at Vanderlyle, Alex Rushmer agrees. We're, we're really fortunate here, actually. Um, I don't think I've ever had to actively recruit for a member of the kitchen right. team. And that's partly because it's a small team and partly because the turnover here has been so low over the last four and a half years. So I think one, two, three, four, five... There's only been six chefs that I've ever had through this, through this kitchen and, and three here right now. Uh, and then in addition to that, a couple, uh, probably three or four kitchen porters. So that's probably the hardest position to, to recruit is, I think, is a kitchen porter for us. And I think it's about, it's mostly about attitude. It's about meeting the right person at the right time and then trying to work out how the relationship is going to work. And I mean, the last, um, there's, been, there's been some turnover here and the, the, some, some change in the kitchen here over the last six months or so. But I've been, as I said, I've been very lucky. But we've we've had people. I've had people approach me. Uh, historically, it's been a case of people coming in for what's called a stage, which is just a day in the kitchen, enjoying what we do, liking what we do, thinking that it's a good fit, and the feeling being mutual. And um, thankfully, yeah, I know it's hard for many many restaurants at the moment, and a lot of places are understaffed, and a lot of places are struggling to recruit. But touch wood, there's not a problem I've had over the last four years or so. So I feel very very fortunate but it's just about finding the right people at the right time and knowing that the fit is, is going to work right so it's about their attitude and, and the chemistry of the team yeah more so than than skills actually I mean skills are always going to be um, in, in high demand but there's no point working alongside somebody who is who is talented if if the fit isn't right and especially in a small team when it really really matters yeah yeah and so people who come in for a stage they they request and and you say you say yes uh, as as much as possible i try and say yes to everybody that wants to yeah. come in and spend the day with us in the kitchen and um and usually for most restaurants as well we actually pay people to 
come in and spend the day yeah. with us. It's it's um, a lot of places don't pay for their for their stage stagiaires to come and spend a, a day or a week with them, and it's a contentious topic within hospitality and has been for a number of years. But I feel very strongly that anybody that that comes into this kitchen and spends a day with us and and uh, offers us their labour uh, should be compensated for yeah. that. But you can't just let anybody in. <laughs> uh, no, I mean it's it's. As I said, I try and say yes to as many people as, as, as possible. And for a lot of people, it is just wanting to get a taste of, of a flavour of what we do in the kitchen. And for, for others, it's, it's more of a stepping stone about whether or not they want to spend more time in the kitchen or more specifically more time in the kitchen here at Vandalile. But yeah, we try and say yes as much as possible. We've actually got a young girl coming in there for, for a day today and she's, she's joining us again tomorrow. So it's about it's about being open to people that want to come and spend time here and um, and and seeing if that is a working relationship that we can take further. Great idea, right? Okay, thanks very much, Alex. My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, it's a great arrangement, the stagiaire or stage in restaurants. As Alex says, it helps in recruitment and it's also incredibly good experience for aspiring chefs. Do you fancy it, Matt? I'd be keen, but I'd be worried that I would be too slow. I'm very slow and very methodical. I think, I, I think I just annoy all the other people around me. I don't think I don't think I speed up quick enough. Oh right, okay. Yeah. In I don't know if you've ever read Bill Bruford's book uh, called Dirt, which is about his experience working in a restaurant in Lyon, and he is given the task. And it's a really high-end restaurant, the mm-hmm. ultimate almost. Uh, he's given the task of doing the staff meal every day for a week, and every day for a week it's late, and people just get. Apoleptic. Apocalyptic. (laughs) Apoplectic. (laughs) They are annoyed. So maybe you're right. Maybe if if slowness is your character... I think so. It's not a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) On to our first news break now for Saturday the 12th of... August. And it's been, (laughs) I don't know why I had to think about that. And it's been a quiet week for news being in the midst of the holiday season, but there's always someone to be found in Congratulations Corner. And today, congratulations to Stir Bakery on the opening of another branch. Their fourth is in Fullbourne, and it comes only a few weeks after their third branch opened in Green Street. I wonder if they're in a race with Gales Bakery. (laughs) Seems to be opening all over the place as well. (laughs) They are doing well. And congratulations. Uh, to Cambridge Wine Merchants, whose 30th birthday is this year. Now, they have organised a Bordeaux dinner on the 28th of September to celebrate. This begins at 7pm. It's at Westminster College in Cambridge. The cost is 79.95 per person. There were only 100 tickets available. Now, there's only 20 left. There will be four courses with vegetarian and non-vegetarian menus and four matching wines. Details on the Cambridge Wine Merchants website and social media. And by the way, Scott's All Days birthday celebrations are now starting an hour earlier at 1pm next Saturday with unlimited drinks, pizza and live music. Over in Willingham, Bushel Box Farms' first apples of the season are now on sale. The varieties are Vista Bella, Discovery and a cooking apple called Grenadier. And the plum season is in full swing. This is what we live for. With Tsar, Purple Pershaw, Early Rivers, Swan, Violetta, Sanctus Hubertus, Bountiful, Green Gauge, Purple Gauge and Ulin's Golden Gauge. And look out for the Cambridge Gauge, a most delicious plum. 
Now, Claire from Brownfield Market had some on her stool on Cambridge's Sunday Market last week, and Chris on the Daily Market, he sells them too. A couple of holiday closures to tell you about. Midsummer House is now closed until the 23rd of August, and Shea Amelie closes today and reopens on the 1st of September. The Oak Bistro in Lensfield Road is currently closed, but it reopens on Tuesday. And a couple of news items from Finboys in Mill Road, which has closed its fresh fish counter. Though you can still order fresh fish from them via their website and email. Alan asked Finboy Richard Stokes why they took the decision to close it. When we first opened during lockdown, obviously really, really successful. And, and um, for the first four or five months, we we're selling lots of fish, more than we'd ever thought we'd sell. But as soon as we opened up the restaurant, it almost stopped overnight. And we've been trying different things over the last 18 months to try and make it work, because Jay and myself both don't want to, you know, any part of the business to fail. And we've tried many things regarding now fish boxes and, and, and deli counter and, and fish of the week and everything. But in the end, we just thought it'd just make more sense to um, put six extra seats in. So it's just a financial thing, really. And also, I, I, I think people didn't quite get that the dry preparation of fish, they'd like to see fish in lots of ice or on lots of ice. And um, we all know that it's not really good for fish. Maybe a little bit different for trawlered fish um, because that spends all its time on ice. And as we know, trawlered fish, fresh fish in this country is usually four to seven days old. We were using day boats, which was 24 uh, hours old. And I think British people generally like to see fish on lots of ice, um, but we were not doing that. And I think we were using lots of different sustainable types of fish also, which people seem to like farmed salmon, farmed bass, farmed bream, trawlered cod, trawlered haddock, and then we never set out to do that. Um, and I know that there's a price point to that as well, people like that, um, and feel happy with those sort of six or seven different varieties of fish. You know, you've got all the air miles, all this bass and bream coming from the eastern Mediterranean, you know, and then trawlered fish, I just don't like the practice of fish dying slowly on sorting tables out at sea for four or five hours. And then it comes in fresh, in inverted commas, um, you know, three or four days old. But, you know, you can't sometimes try and teach people. You just come over as a little bit too worthy. Um, we just thought it'd be easy to, to take it out of and course. just get extra seats in, really. Yeah, yeah. And Finboys have also temporarily stopped selling fish at the Gog Magog farm shop. Richard explains why. Again, it's, 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 a, it's a staff um, shortage, to be honest, Alan. Um, Jay really wanted to do it. We, you know, we, we thought we could do, go down there two or three times a week and work with Charles and Marcus, but um, just couldn't find any staff. We've, we've been advertising since January. We've only seen two applicants. I guess the, the, the colleges, you know, have lots and lots of staff. And also, I think lots of people in the catering industry now don't really want to be chefs. They want to be, you know, cooks or dinner ladies, you know, and, and, and have their 36-hour weeks and an 18-week holiday a year. And um, so despite all the sort of emphasis uh, on, on cooking on TV and on being a master chef and so on, it's not persuading people that that's a, a, no, not a good in, thing to do? Certainly not in Cambridge, but um, no, it's, it's, it's quite sad that we haven't been able to expand. We wanted to, but um, yeah, this is just the staff really that, 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 that's holding us back to be totally honest yeah when you say expand you mean like more premises or? well in, the, in fact going to the gogs and working there you know that expect that would have been obviously expansion for us and and, and um yeah sadly not been uh, allowed to do it because of the, the staffing issues really finboy's website has a list of their current fish which you can order by emailing info at 
fin-boys.com giving 48 hours notice. And they will be reopening on Wednesday and Thursday lunchtimes in September with a menu that focuses on a couple of ideas of what you can do at home with some of the fish from their online list. In the meantime, they are open Tuesday to Saturday nights and Friday lunchtime. And that's the news for now. More later. Okay, so... We're in the cost of living crisis and the government has created a new system for calculating the duty on wine. This new measure is called alcohol by volume. The higher the alcohol percentage, the more your bottle will cost. This week I met with Hal Wilson, the co-owner of Cambridge Wine Merchants, who has branches around the city, and he's going to give us the lowdown on what it all means, who wins and who loses, although I think you probably already know who wins. So from the 1st of August 2023, there are a whole lot of new taxes on alcoholic drinks. The idea was to take advantage of leaving the EU, which allowed the UK government to think slightly differently and and was free to change taxation. So the impact of this on people who like wine is quite an increase in tax charged on still wine slightly lower tax on sparkling wine and much higher tax on fortified wines. Not only because they're free to do that by leaving the EU, but also they felt that they wanted to make a system simpler to understand, more economically rational and easier to implement. And that's where, unfortunately, they've got into a bit of a a quagmire. So they wanted to tax all alcoholic drinks based on the ABV the ABV being the alcohol by volume, a a beer might be 5% alcohol, a wine might be 13, and a fortified wine might be 19. So there is quite, you know, there's quite a big difference. People will drink them in different quantities, but the government wanted to charge based on ABV, which is a which is quite a big change for wine, because wine is a naturally produced product. It's only made once a year. The alcohol level on each wine is determined by the conditions of that year, how much sunlight there was, how much available sugar in the grapes was created and then was turned into alcohol. So the pre-existing system was really about ensuring wine producers weren't incentivized to reduce alcohol levels and were sort of incentivized to make the best wine that they could, even if that meant slightly higher alcohol levels because of climate change. So the government goes, we want to make wine a bit more like beer and spirits, which is already charged on its alcohol level. And it would have been great and simpler if there was just one rate that was charged on all alcohol. You know, you don't want to be drinking too much alcohol. The less you drink, the less you should be paying in tax. So I totally get the simplicity of that argument. But I think they just started to to get, get picked apart by looking at different types of drinks. So even now, with this simpler method, the rate of taxation on beer is a lot lower Mm. than it is on wine. So not only do you pay more as the ABV goes up, but you pay at a different rate. So looking at our shelves of wine, we're in the sort of the German section, and you can actually see that these new taxes, which are about taxing wine based on the alcohol level, 
rather than as a specific amount might actually help reduce the tax on lower ABV wines, although it is going to put up the tax on higher ABV wines. So if we're looking at this really lovely Riesling from the Mosul Valley in Germany, we can see we've got something at 9% because it's a Riesling cabinet. That's quite a lot lower than most wines now. And when last month it was taxed at the same rate as something with a higher ABV, this will actually have a lot less tax. So you might actually see the price of lower ABV wines coming down. And sparkling wine also has had the premium removed from it. So we used to pay more for something to have some bubbles in it. Now that's been done away with and it will just be taxed on the ABV level. So that's also coming down a little bit. And we've got some English wine here from the Crouch Valley from Newhall Wine Estate. That's 11%. So this actually falls outside of the band where taxes is still the same. So as a lower ABV wine, this is only going up a little bit. But if we look at something from France, from Alsace, still a white wine, we can see this is 14.5%. So there's quite a big difference in alcohol level, and the government's decided that they want to basically tax on alcohol strength and introduce that for wine. So there's an awful lot for us to think about to change the prices, but there are some winners and losers. And winners would be German wines, some English wines and sparkling wines, definitely. Losers, wines that are certainly at 15% alcohol and those that are at the moment between 11.5% and 14.5%. They're all going up. And then the fortified wines, they're going up £2 a bottle in some cases. So everyday port is going to cost a lot more. So we are really trying to work through all of these changes that the government's introduced and try to minimise the amount of impact financially on our customers. But I think it still really makes sense to spend a bit more on the bottle of wine, get really good quality, and by doing that you're actually reducing the amount of tax you're paying as a percentage of the whole. The rationale is that they can make the taxation system work better for British people, but what they're doing is putting up the tax massively. And already, two-thirds of all the tax raised on wine in the entire European continent, so the EU plus the UK, the UK and and we as consumers, we pay two-thirds of that total. So it's so much tax that we're already paying for wine. It seems strange that a system has been dreamt up that should work better for us, but only increases that. So we now have eight of the top 10 tax rates on wine in Europe, with only Sweden and Ireland having a high tax rate as well, but they consume a lot less. So as a a country that, with an awful lot of population and a very high taxation rate, we end up paying two-thirds of the entire amount of tax raised on wine in the whole of Europe. I think we're already sort of paying our fair share as wine consumers. And there's more tax raised on wine than on spirits or beer or or cider, which is a relatively small amount. So you're doing your bit for the for the country's finances just by having a glass of wine. Um, It's 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 a pity that we're being asked to, to to pay more. We've always said that you're better off from a taxation point of view spending a bit more on wine. So you you consume a little bit less and spend a little bit more. It's healthy and it's much 
wiser. You're getting a much better quality of wine. And there's some lovely charts out there that show, you know, if you spend £8 on a bottle of wine now, half of that is going to be tax. But if you spend £15, then you're already spending a lot less so sort of a third or less is of the of the total tax. So you're actually getting more wine for, for for your money and better quality wine. So you know there is a direct relationship normally between how much you're spending on the actual wine and your enjoyment of it. This is the biggest alcohol duty reform in 140 years, with a headline 20% increase in duty on all wines between 11.5% and 14.5%. And then you got 20% on top of that for VAT. Now, under the old rules, wines between 8 and 15%, they were all taxed the same amount. And that's the vast majority of the still wines that we buy. Now, however, we're in a new world of pay-by-alcohol percentage. Now, if you'd like to find out more, then the best information I found was through Twitter, or X, as it's now known, and I was following a guy called Gavin Quinney. His X, or his Twitter handle, is at Gavin Quinney, all one word. He's got plenty of good charts and statistics on, on just what all these changes mean. Yes, well, I was at a, a restaurant last Saturday night in London, and I didn't buy it, but the <laughs> the most expensive wine on their list was £7,290. And you wonder all? what that might become <laughs> with, with the new duty arrangements. Yes. I, I went for something rather cheaper. <laughs> anyway, we're heading for a short break now, but do stay with us as we will be speaking to a local chef in the running for the San Pellegrino Young Chef of the Year Award. We'll also be visiting a new Chinese restaurant on King Street and fishmonger Ben Roberts will have some quick and easy fish recipes. So see you in two and a bit. Cambridge 105 Radio. Monday evenings on Cambridge 105 Radio. Strummers and Dreamers with Les Ray. As there are so many different kinds of folk songs out there. Traditional ballads, shanties, work songs, songs by singer-songwriters of all kinds, my particular thing. You'll get live sessions and interviews by local performers and those from further afield, the big names on the scene and newly emerging independent artists. Lots of new music, some classics and something special just for you. Strummers and Dreamers online whenever you want it and Monday at 7 on Cambridge 105 Radio. It's forecast to be another hot summer. Watering the lawn, cleaning the car, filling up paddling pools. It all adds up to a massive strain on our local water resources. But did you know a hose uses up to 1,000 litres an hour? That's as much as an average adult uses in a week. And every single litre is high-quality drinking water taken from the same groundwater sources that supply Cambridge's chalk streams, including the cam. If we all switch our hose for a watering can this summer, we'll keep millions of litres in local streams. Can for the cam. And not only will you save water, but you'll help protect habitats and wildlife for generations to come. And while you're doing your bit, here at Cambridge Water, we'll be doing ours, binding and fixing leaks as quickly as possible. You can find out more about saving water and why it's important at cambridge-water.co.uk. Just look for Can for the Cam on our homepage. Can for the Cam. Ditch the hose this summer. The ultimate challenge is back. The 17th Cambridge Dragon Boat Festival in aid of Addenbrooke's Charitable Trust takes place on Saturday the 9th of September. 
Gather your colleagues, hit the water, and hear the cheers of the crowd as you paddle your way to victory. No experience necessary. There's even a range of bankside entertainment, food stalls, and fun activities to guarantee a fabulous day out for all the family. For more information and to register your team, visit dragonboatevents.co.uk. The 2023 Cambridge Dragon Boat Festival, organized by New Wave Events and supported by Cambridge 105 Radio. Welcome back to Flavour. Time for a bit more news now. And coming up at the Wine Rooms on the 10th of September, the Modern Table and Node have a Sunday sit-down. Now, this is a five-course dinner in the evening with no and low drinks pairings, leaving you with a clear head for work the next day. It's £80 per person, and you can book on the Node Instagram bio or even the Modern Table bio. Next Saturday from 6 till 9pm there is a seven-course meal with wines from Cambridge Wine Merchants. It's in Bottisham and you can find out more from Eventbrite where you can also book. The event is called Farm to Table Supper Club and the menu which focuses on goat includes smoked goat, whipped brie with local honey and goat pie. The cost is a very reasonable £60 plus Eventbrite's fee. Yeah, on to wine tastings now. And the Wine Rooms in Hills Road has two tasting flights this month. Three Pinot Noirs, one from France, one from New Zealand and one from Oregon, and three French Whites. They're open every day except Sunday and Monday from 5pm to 11pm, Tuesday to Thursday, and from 3 till 11 on Friday and Saturday. Food can be ordered up to 9.30, and in their tastings evenings, there's South and Central Spain on the 17th of August. On the 24th of August, it's South African Wines, and both events cost £30 and run from 7 till 8.15pm. At Amphora in Devonshire Road on the 16th of August from 8pm, there's a tasting of Loire wines, including a sparkling wine, a dry and a sweet Chenin Blanc, a Pinot Noir and a Cabernet Franc, and that's £55. On the 23rd of August, older vintages, that is wines older than 10 years, are up for tasting. And the wines include a red from 1975, can you imagine that? The cost is £65 and a special event, a very special event, on the 24th of September with one of the big names in wine, Tim Atkin, Master of Wine, who will be running a South Africa Masterclass. The cost is £45 and this event will be held at Espresso Library in East Road. And there's two foraging chef's dinners coming up at Amphora in Devonshire Road with paired wines. They begin at 6.45pm and they're on the 10th of September and the 15th of October and the cost is £115 including wine. There's a bin end sale on at Cambridge Wine Merchants right now. Your chance to pick up some reduced price wine and Thorn Wines has some reduced wines too. Uh, that's all the news for now. We'll have an update from social media shortly and Cambridge Wine Merchants has a specially selected case of Loire wines on offer at 10% of the moment. Actually, you've got some news from Yes, I do. Uh, this just today, uh, Thorn Wines. They have got tickets for an exciting upcoming event in collaboration with Vandalisle and Hamilton Russell Vineyards. These will be released soon, and there will be limited spaces available. Right. Okay. 
Now, the San Pellegrino Young Chef of the Year Award is a major international competition. And earlier this year, 165 chefs from all over the world completed in 15 different regions in front of some of the world's top chefs. This is a big deal. And that's to win a place in the final, which happens in Milan. Representing the UK in this year's final is a Cambridge chef. Step forward, Marcus Clayton, the new sous chef at Vandalisle in Mill Road, and I spoke with him on Thursday. Marcus, congratulations on getting to the, the grand final of the uh, San Pellegrino Awards. So it's an incredible achievement. You must be pretty pleased. I am, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, bit, a bit overwhelming. Right. Still, still have to pinch myself. For people who don't know about the awards, what does the grand final involve? What do you have to do? Uh, so in the, in the first stage, we had to write a signature dish and then we had to cook for uh, 10 judges. On that panel included Sat Baines, Lisa Allen, uh, Claude Bosi. They picked me to go on to the next stage uh, and then I cooked the same dish, 10 plates of food, just different judges. So you've got the likes of um, Helen DeRose and Nancy Silverton, all, all in the 50 best chefs. Big names. Yeah. Yeah, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and what, what is a signature dish? Uh, so it's a salt-baked celeriac in a celery salt crust. It's baked to about 82 degrees. Uh, it's cut into a fondant. Using the trim, I've made like a little ragu from celeriac apple mushroom that goes on the side and a little celeriac crustard topped with a celeriac foam. Uh, the celeriac itself is glazed up in a ponzu using uh, apple juice, celeriac and celery juice and then using the trim from the juicer, uh, making ash that's rolled in it. Uh, then you've got some uh, oyster mushrooms, some apple dice, some celeriac dice, an apple puree, and a, a, a mushroom celeriac apple sauce. Wow, sounds extraordinary. How long will that take to put together? So it takes about four hours. <laughs> it takes about four hours to get on top of things, and then I've pretty much got to plate immediately, so it's, uh, time is against. Yeah, right. So, so, um, and the, and you're given four hours. Are you given an unlimited amount of time, or do you? No, no. You you you're given four and a half hours, including plating. Yeah. Um, right. So yeah, I've got to be organised and on top of it. And this is an international competition. So did you win the the, the sort of the British? The UK heats, yeah, yeah. And then there's uh, fifteen other countries. What, from all over the world, or is it European? Yeah, yeah, Asia, there's... Uh, so they do it in different uh, sittings. So uh, Italy is one region of its own, France is another region. You've got North, uh, North Asia, Germany, America. Uh, this goes on, India. Gosh, that's so guessing through really is an extraordinary... What, what happens to the people who, who win, to the, the previous year's winners? What do they go on to become and do? I don't know, to be honest. I haven't. I, when, when, I, when I entered the competition, I just saw um, uh, a little Instagram post by Sat Bain saying young chefs should go for it. And I didn't know anything about the San Pellegrino competition at all. And I just entered it with this dish. Um, and next thing you know, it's, they're putting me up in a hotel in Mayfair and getting me to cook for some of the UK's best judges. I, I didn't. I didn't expect it to go. Yeah, yeah. And the final is in Milan, isn't it? Yeah. So they, well, they, they pay your your flight and accommodation. Yeah, yeah. They sort all of that out, uh, transport to the uh, the airport, and yeah, and all of that. Yeah. That's fantastic. What would you like it to lead to? 
I don't know, a beer. <laughs> a beer. We get it, get it over with, have a beer, and then we can assess. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, good luck. And when, it, when is it? Uh, it's, uh, so I fly out October 2nd, and I either compete on the 3rd or 4th. Right, well, we'll be rooting for you. Thank you very so much. So thanks very much. You too. Yeah, we will indeed be rooting for Marcus and enjoy the beer, Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic achievement. OK, next up is your dumplings. Not your dumplings, I'm sure they're good, but your <laughs> dumplings. Now, this is the name of a new restaurant in King Street. It's run by Yvonne Ghoul, otherwise known as Maggie, and her husband. In 2007, Maggie and her husband ran a Chinese takeaway. After that, they ran a restaurant in Regent Street called Shanghai Gourmet. After a few years, my husband said it is too hard work. He think our age is not young, so he think we have to do something, not for the money, hmm. but for this city, because it's a stunning city. In China, everybody knows Cambridge. We want to bring some unique Chinese food called the Pan Grilled Dumpling. China is a massive country, and uh, everywhere got different food. Mm. We got some different area, different food in Cambridge, but no pan grilled pork dumpling. Do not have that. Mm. So uh, I learned that from my grandma, and my great grandma has got a pan grilled dumpling restaurant in Shanghai. Beijing may be China's capital, but the largest city is Shanghai. And this is where Maggie and her husband and family are from. But uh, I met my great-grandmother just a few times. And so I want to bring that kind of food to Cambridge because nowhere can I find this kind of pan-grilled dumpling. So that's unique. Mm -hmm. The pan-fried dumplings are indicative of Shanghai? You can find it in lots of places, but all different style. Mm. Even in Shanghai, it is different style. Ah. Some got different flowers, some got some different pork inside, but most likely it is soup. We are talking about the juicy inside. Yeah. So it's the soup dumplings, mm -hmm. yeah? Like uh, we put some uh, pork and we put some uh, ginger and the spring onion. Mm -hmm. Just very simple, but we uh, try to make it juicy. Brilliant. And spring yeah. onion adds a lovely, vibrant kick to everything, doesn't it? It is, it is. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yes. How does it feel after all those years having a restaurant in Regent Street compared to here in King Street? And Regent Street full of students. Then uh, when students go on holiday, lots of tourists. Mm. But this street is a little bit quiet. In the King Street, your dumplings, we opened two months and uh, we got five stars like review in Google, so I'm proud of that. Yeah. So we are slowly, slowly do good quality food. Mm. Have you already started seeing what's popular oh, with your customers? Oh yes, lots of popular, like uh, pork belly and egg on rice, and uh, slow-cooked pork bone broth. Slow-cooked pork bone broth with carrots, potato and spring onion. Even Western people, they like it. Yeah? Yeah, I only think Chinese people like it, but even Western people, they like it very much. And uh, pork belly and egg and rice, and uh, ribs, soup noodles. That's people like. Ribs, soup ribs. noodles? Yeah, that's slow cooked as well, four and five hours. And uh, yes, of course, the pan grilled dumpling, mm. that's the most popular. We want a fresh, we want the same tasty in China, but I can't find the same materials. 
Uh-huh. So it cost me a lot of time to find, for example, pan grilled dumpling. I need found the same flour. Cue the hunt for just the right type of flour. So I tried like 20 different flowers, one by one, one by one, then taste, taste, taste. Then I found one uh, similar. Mm-hmm. So happy, happy. <laughs> <laughs> Over the last 10 years or so, I think there's been many more Chinese places coming to Cambridge. Uh, why do you think that is? Now we uh, bring some new food, new cultures. For example, I tell them how to eat soup dumplings. So <laughs> We're sitting at a table in Maggie's shop. On the table is some handy instructions how to eat the soup dumplings. Now, soup dumplings are obviously going to be steaming hot because they're full of soup. So you place the soup dumpling gently into a spoon and you can either bite the top to let the heat escape or you can poke a hole in the bottom with some chopsticks so that the soup pours into the spoon. So cool it down, sip it slowly and enjoy. Because uh, I think Western people only accepted the food they're not Chinese. They are Western style of Chinese. Mm. So, for example, some people come in to my shop and said, I want some swing sour chicken balls. I said, I do not sell that. They, they asked me, are you a Chinese? Yes, I'm a Chinese, but why don't you sell swing sour chicken balls? Yeah. I said, well, we're unique. Our dumpling is the best in Cambridge. I can say that. <laughs> and uh, yes, they tried. They like it. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was Maggie of Your Dumplings, the new Chinese restaurant on King Street. Now, she says their customer base seems to be made up of uh, half Chinese and half Western enthusiasts. And everybody loves their menu, from steamed pork dumplings, pan-grilled dumplings, pork belly and egg soup noodles, grilled eel soup noodles, teriyaki chicken on rice and bao buns, all the way to salt and pepper squid. There's something for everyone, with vegan and vegetarian options too. So that is Your Dumplings at 62 King Street. You can also order from them online via their menu at yourdumplings.co.uk. And our final news roundup for today. Meadows in Mill Road is opening on Friday and Saturday from noon until 9pm throughout August, and that's for a glass of wine and sharing plates. Heathfruit Farm is hoping to be at Ely Market today and have the kiosk open at the farm too, from 9 till 1 and 9 till 5, Monday to Friday during the week. Currently available are Golden Gage, Green Gage, Count Elthon's Gage, Pershaw's, Avalon and Early Victoria Plums. Also, some Discovery Apples. Finboys have a lot of mussels and sardines at the moment. They're on their menu and available to buy via their website. Node has small bottles of their vermouth and cola herb cordial from their online shop, and that's for delivery early next week. They'll last throughout August. Grape Britannia is moving. Their shop on Arbury Road will close on the 27th of August and they'll be moving to larger premises on Mitcham's Corner. And the other thing to note is they deliver locally. So if you order online, don't forget to enter Cam Delivery at the checkout to get free delivery. Mm. All right, that's the news for today, but we may have an update from social media if we have time. On to our feature in which Ben Roberts who sells fresh fish from Grimsby every Saturday morning in Grantchester Street in Newnham, gives us some really quick and simple ways of cooking it, making it ideal for a midweek after-work dinner. A very popular fish is salmon. Yes. And there's probably lots of ways to eat salmon. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Oh, it's endless, you know. (laughs) Um, 
one of my favourites is just in the oven with either some sweet chilli or teriyaki sauce and it'll go with roast veggies or you can do it with rice or pasta or anything like that, couscous, really nice. Or you can have it cold and right. do it with a salad. OK, well, tell me about putting it in the oven. You'd put it in the oven Yes. at what sort of temperature? About uh, 160, 180 at most, yeah. and it'll only take sort of five minutes and it's cooked. Right. Uh, just, and what, what's what's it in? Uh, just I put it in a, in a cooking dish and in a in a normal dish with foil over the top because I like to keep the, the steam inside. You yeah. can even just wrap it in foil and put it in a tray in, on a baking tray. Yeah. But yeah, just a little bit of sauce so it's got something to keep it moist as it cooks, and it's it's lovely. You said with teriyaki sauce, would, yes. you, would you cook it in that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't need a lot; just a little bit on the top of the salmon in a, in a foil, wrap it in the foil, pop it in the oven, and say five six minutes it will be absolutely fine all right okay and another fish that's i think perhaps become more popular is sea bass yes same as salmon because sea bass is uh, quite prolifically farmed these days uh it's more available i mean if it wasn't farmed you, you just wouldn't get any same as the salmon if that wasn't farmed there wouldn't be any i think we'd have emptied the seas by now um but it's one of those if you can get sea bass nice and fresh just pan fry it or you know, in under a grill, and it's lovely. It goes with anything. Okay, if you do it under the grill, do you have to put anything on it? Like uh, you can brush do. a bit of oil. Yeah, on you it can do, but it just out? just spits a bit. So if you do that, it doesn't yeah. dry out too much. And once the skin is cooked, turn it over and just finish it. And off. you can see when the you will see it's cooked. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It's, uh, it won't take too long either. Right. It's, yeah, it's also easy. It's also easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's delicious as well. <laughs> and it's good in a frying pan as well. But it, you know, it's a bit spits a bit, but. And you can squeeze lime juice, lemon juice, and it's really good flavour. You've probably eaten it before anyway. I have, yeah. <laughs> Do you mind it being on the radio next Saturday? <laughs> she didn't mind, by the way. <laughs> Most sea bass in supermarkets is actually from fish farms in Turkey, which takes a few days to get here, so it's not terribly fresh. But Ben's comes from a fish farm in Anglesey, and occasionally he does have wild sea bass, which Finn Boys currently has too. And Ben is actually on holiday now. He'll be back on the 2nd of September. <laughs> There's the familiar music signalling time for news from social media. Yes, well, we have got time for it. Just a couple of items. There's not a lot about. MJP at the Shepherds has got some of it, some tables available tomorrow lunchtime, Sunday lunchtime, for roast hake with French-style peas and caviar. And then they're going to be closed for summer. Huey Cam Coffee, which sells Colombian coffee on Cambridge Market, is increasing the number of days that they're open. So they'll be open from 8 until 3.30 now, from Saturday until Thursday. And that's the social media. <laughs> OK, let's end today on a seasonal note, ice cream. The queues in Cambridge for Jack's Gelato and Aromis too have been big during the hot weather. Now, a few years ago, Alan asked Jack about his work as a chef before he started his gelato business. Here's an extract. Ice cream was actually one of the, the first things that I ever made about nearly 30 years ago when I was a, a small child at my mother's knee. But no, professionally, had a, a career in, in professional kitchens, which most of it, I specialised in pastry section, but I also ran whole kitchens and... At one point, you co-owned Cotto. Yeah, my career's taken me to 
lots of different places. I ran and co-owned Cotto for the first three years. Um, so when would that have been? What sort of time was that? 2005 to 2008. And then we sold it to Hans and Ruth and I went to cook at Chez Panisse in California and then I moved to France and cooked in France for a couple of years before moving back to Cambridge to start Jacques Gelato in 2011. But before Cotto, was there anything before Cotto? Before Cotto, I did my apprenticeship at the Pink Geranium, which was in Melbourne. I worked there for three years from apprentice commie up to senior sous chef. Prior to that, I worked in different kitchens in Canada, which is where I, I started cooking originally on a whim when I was travelling. That's when, I, <laughs> when, when it all started, really. And how do you feel now about having left the restaurant scene? Because life in restaurants must be extraordinarily intense and possibly a bit trying at the time, but is it not something that sometime after you've left it behind, you, you miss it? Are you hankering after returning? I, I am. It's something that is often on my mind. I mean, restaurant work is, is that kind of curious combination of exhaustion and exhilaration, and I, I do miss, miss the buzz sometimes. And, you know, I, I cooked with Rosie for a, a, on a part-time basis for a while at Fitzbilly's when they first did their reopening yeah, and Jack also cooked the dessert at a pop-pop at uh, Fitzbilly's a few years ago, and it was, it was good, it was very good. And it would be nice if he kept the gelato going with occasional forays into other food, I think. But I suppose you can't have everything. <laughs> but I want everything. <laughs> There's Green Onions, signalling the start of our jobs section. Uh, the Cambridge Cheese Company has permanent full-time positions available to work on the counters and assist customers in putting together their perfect cheese board. You will need to be available to work Saturdays and have previous customer experience. So if that interests you, then email cambridgecheese at gmail.com with your CV and a covering letter. Cambridge Wine is looking for a full-time member of staff. Send your CV and covering letter to clive.pawsey, P-A-W-S-E-Y, at cambridgewine.com. Van der Lyle wants an assistant manager to join its front-of-house team. Shifts are eight or ten hours, and the working week is four or four and a half days. Daily Bread, the food cooperative on King's Hedges, is looking for staff to join them in running their independent cooperative whole food shop. Details are on their website, dailybread.org, and applications do need to be in by noon tomorrow. Meadows has a vacancy for an assistant manager, a full-time, five-day-a-week position, which includes weekends, so full weekends are off on rotation. Also, one part-time retail position, which includes one day of weekend working. The living wage or higher is paid, and there are big staff discounts. Applications or inquiries to meadows at meadowscambridge.com with a CV and a covering letter for applications. Now, a head chef is needed at the Petersfield Pub. The details are on the City Pub's website. A head pizza chef is needed at Franco Manca. A sushi chef is needed at Kibu, and an assistant head chef is required at Kwai Mill Hotel. And chefs are needed at Aromi and Flat Iron. A kitchen manager stroke chef is required at the Gonville Hotel. 
There's a vacancy for a casual chef at the Fellows House, a breakfast chef at Kwai Mill Hotel, and a brunch chef at the Locker Cafe. A sous chef is needed at the Kwai Mill Hotel and at Flatiron. Wagamama is looking for a junior sous chef. A chef de partie is required at Kibu and at Darwin College, as is a senior chef de partie. Downing College has a vacancy for a senior chef de partie in their pastry section. And finally, commie chefs are needed at Downing College and at the Dog and Dock in Linton, where accommodation is available. All of which brings us to the end of today's programme. And don't forget, you can catch Flavour on alternate Saturdays at 12 noon. We're repeated on Mondays at 6pm and Thursdays at 2pm. Flavour will also be available as a podcast early next week. Yes, it will. It's been quite a big programme today. It's been quite busy. (laughs) Uh, Coming up on Cambridge 105 Radio today at 1 o'clock is The Gadget Guide with Robin Lawrence. And at 2 o'clock, it's Sue Marchant's selection. But that is all from Matt and me. We'll be back on the 26th of August with lots more food and drink news, jobs and features. So until then, goodbye. goodbye.